Hello, Coffin Bond listeners, and welcome back. Podcast 48. We have a special guest here with us today, uh, Susan Bransgrove. Susan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. And I do have my little sidekick here, Tony. Welcome. Thank you. I've been called little in a long time. Uh, but thanks for flying down for Brisbane just for this. My absolute pleasure. <laughs> so, Look, so. today today is a really exciting one and, and something a little bit different. Um, I guess we've had our lawyers and accountants in here, but we're looking towards a different side of our SME businesses, um, in particularly families, mm-hmm. um, and, and delving into a bit of a different area of expertise with Susan today. So, Tony, do you want to sort of introduce Susan and what she does in her business? before Yeah, so... One of the things we were looking for when Susan and I first met was over LinkedIn. Uh, so business dating, some would say. Business dating, yes. <laughs> it's, uh, no, but it's, it was her area of expertise that shone out. Uh, we, we obviously had some mutual connections. Um, and one of the things in respect to the expertise that shone out, when we said family business consulting, it wasn't actually had anything to do with accounting or legal. It was actually dealing with families. And sometimes, I suppose, and I'm not going to steal any of Suzanne's thunder here, but sometimes the power struggles that can occur within families, intergenerational as well, you can have very successful financially uh, owned businesses with families, but actually taking it to the next level of actually being successful at home. Uh, or it can sometimes be a struggle as well. So Suzanne and I really hit it off. Uh, we both have a passion for SMEs. We are a family-owned business here, as all of our clients know. Um, and Suzanne also comes from a family-owned business. But originally, your background here in Australia was in the corporate world with both ANZ and Macquarie Bank. So it's, uh, do you want to start there and, and how how you went from third-generation family-owned business to, uh, to joining the I, corporate world? I, I just world? wanted to say, I think her family-owned business is a little bit older than this one as well. It's a little bit older, yes. So how far back does that go? So the family business that we find uh, now in the third generation goes back 375 years. Naturally, you have to assume that we haven't owned it for that entire time because that no, would be so, rather so, strange. Yeah, Clearly my you've got longevity in the family. <laughs> yes. My grandfather wouldn't let go. Um, <laughs> My grandfather saw an opportunity and bought the business after the Second World War from the last remaining family member of the original owning family. But it is listed as one of the oldest family business or the oldest businesses in Bremen where I come from. Mm. And I've grown up in the family business setting. So when people talk about the kitchen table conversations and listening into concerns, whether it's some employment or the employees or whether it's the market conditions, all, all sorts of different business decisions and business issues that tend to pop up you didn't get to listen into it also very fond memories and I was a bit of a tomboy back in those days but my dad made back me in those wear, days yeah, <laughs> but my dad made me wear a pretty dress for Easter with little bunnies on it and I had to walk around or go with him to clients and deliver marzipan Easter eggs I was it was just really embarrassing. I just didn't enjoy that much at all. But uh, that's the joy of being in a family business, right? <laughs> and there's nothing like embarrassment that, you know, some 40-odd years later, you still remember it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's left something. It's, just, it's an impact. It's definitely an impact. <laughs> So uh, As you can see, I do wear dresses again these days, yes. but it took me a little while to get to that. But um, but you didn't come bearing chocolate. No, that's actually a good, fair point. I take that point and I'll try to rectify that next time <laughs> I come you. in. But, Thank um, you. Just hide it from Boyana when you bring it in because I'm not allowed to eat it. Right, <laughs> so, okay. Um, okay, but going, going from that and then you, how long have you been in Australia now? Just over 20 years, so it's been yeah. quite some time. I've left Australia in my obviously 
very young years, after I went to university, I completed a um, banking and finance degree and then made the decision to move out here, not entirely voluntary, but my ex-husband is Australian, that's how you find yourself in a different country, yeah. and pursued, like most people in my generation, a professional career, because that is what we all were striving for, and quite frankly, I, as much as I was part of a family business, I probably didn't understand the concept of family business. I didn't understand the concept of legacy and the history that was within it, mm. because that was not a conversation that we that we had. So I wish my dad would have talked more about what my grandfather saw in the business and what, what matters to him and the relationship with employees and other stakeholders, because I just saw it as a business, um, not as a were family business. Were there other family members involved in your family business besides your father? My grandfather when he was still alive. Okay then, yeah. yeah. So it was your grandfather, then your father. So Yes, because the way we did succession in our family was really quite neat. So my grandfather was an only child, my father is an only child. That's very and neat. Then, yeah, okay, <laughs> <laughs> and then my dad, unfortunately, didn't quite follow that line. He's got two daughters, so that's where he, where he went wrong, I guess. Well, no, you, be, no, you, being, the, you being the younger one, maybe yes. fortunately he didn't say the family line. Yes, but that's probably, uh, you're, quite, you're quite right in that. But from his perspective, I think things would have been a whole lot easier if only he had one son. Okay, then. So, so, um, okay so, so based on that, you've come to Australia now. Yep. Uh, you did join the corporate world, yep. so working uh, to, with Australia's very large corporates, yep. uh, two of the largest, both ANZ and Macquarie. Yep. The difference between that family business and then going to such large corporates, we've had their hierarchy and you speak to this person if you want to speak to that person, etc. How did, how did that work for you? Well, it didn't, yes. because I'm not there anymore. Yes. But it's interesting to follow the journey and start understanding why it didn't work. Mm. Because when you do grow up around the, the kitchen table listening into the decisions that have to be made, and perhaps it's also part of our German culture, the concept of the greater good and making decisions that are as, as good as possible for all who are involved in that or who are going to be at the receiving end of the decision means that um, there's a lot more thought that goes into it and it has a very different perspective. When I was working in corporate, and we all know how corporate Australia works and has worked in particular in the time when I was uh, working in it, it's very much profit-driven and the well-being of the individuals and the purpose conversations don't really take place. So as much as you might have a take on what you would like to be able to do and how you would like to make a decision, how you would like to work with your clients, the reality is that the corporate setting might not allow that. And so I ended up constantly just looking for meaning in what I was doing and climbing the corporate ladder to where I thought I wanted to be and then to get there and then realise that it really wasn't what I wanted to do at all. It yeah. was actually quite disappointing, to, to be honest. And, and as luck would have it, in hindsight, the global financial crisis took care of my corporate career within Macquarie Bank quite nicely. So it did with a lot of state managers at Macquarie Bank. That's exactly right. Yeah. So and 400 of you, I believe. Yeah, there were quite a few of us. Yeah. And, and looking back now was the best thing that could have happened. It really gave me an opportunity to reposition and redefine where I wanted to spend my time. And, and as much as I would now like to tell the story how I've planned ending up working with family businesses around business and family governance, I, would like, I actually fell into it. But I think I fell into it because this is where I was supposed to be and that's really where I've been finding purpose and meaning in the work that I'm doing. So yeah. That's, and I, I guess I like to sometimes joke about how I got my soul back in that process, and I'm not willing to give that up again. So. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> um, and you, know, you, you do own your own successful 
business now, yes. looking after successful business owners and their families. Yes. So do you want to talk about the one of the things, you know, we, we deal with a lot of SME, one of the only firms that do deal uh, with a lot of SME clients, but in saying that, we look after the financial side. We make sure that if something was to happen to the patriarch or matriarch of that business and they fall off the perch, that the family financially are looked after and everything they've built doesn't fall to dust. That's our purpose. Um, it sounds awful, but um, in a way, a mantra is to make sure the right amount of money goes to the right people at the right time, and as Jamie added to that, tax effectively. Um, so that's pretty boring. What you do, I find, it's extremely important, but pretty boring. What you do, being a family-owned business that has family working here, uh, including my two sons, is vastly different. It's about keeping the family unit together in a way, and actually, I suppose, understanding communication between different generations as well. Do you want to touch on that a bit for us? Yeah, so, so as a fundamental, my thoughts and what I build everything on is that good business comes from good families. Mm. Because you can have a wonderfully functioning business that is successful, but if the family is fracturing alongside it, then the future of the business is still in question. Um, so, so my focus is on looking at the two sides that really live side by side, which is the family and the business. And it's interesting because we talk about family businesses, but and the majority do advisors then just focus on the business and it's almost as if the word family is completely forgotten. Absolutely. And that tends to work if you've got a small family with few people in the next generation, if you've got mum and dad and one or two sons and they work very closely together and by nature of that do they spend enough time together to understand each other. It doesn't work so well when you're moving from a second to a third generation. Mm. And you know the saying, is it, you know, the first generation builds it, the second grows it, the third blows it, is that what they say? Yeah. The reality behind this is that there's a human um, truth behind this, but it really comes from the fact that the first and second generation tend, well, they grow up under the same roof and they have a lot of conversations and they tend to understand each other and inherently share the same values. Families do, by the way. By the time you get to the third generation, you have people growing up um, in separate households. So you have, if you've got three people in the second generation, you have three other spouses adding their value set to those three households, and you end up with cousins who have very different perspectives and very different language and very different preferences. And they also take on their parents' perspective on the business. So if you've got one sibling in the second generation who loves the business and it means everything to them, well, have a think about how their children view that business. If you've got one sibling whose needs aren't met or they're just there because they feel they have to be, but they really don't like the whole family stuff at all, well, how do you think their children are going to look at this? So by the time you're getting to that third generation, if you haven't created a connection, a common language and a common understanding where this has all come from, the legacy that you're standing on, and why it is important to create decision-making that are for the greater good, and that's where you're going to start seeing a disconnect. And but the reality is when you've got 10 people, 15 people, 20 people, you have 10 or 15 or 20 different perspectives, and they have some of their own unique views on the world and how they, their own values. So if you leave that all by itself, then you're going to end up with 20 people running in 20 different directions trying to run one business. So you can see that that's probably not going to work. So in the same way that businesses throughout the ages and, and even the corporate sector have structures in them that make sure that people understand the vision of where we're headed to and the strategy, how are we going to get there and the, the 
pieces that sort of make you know, who's going to do what and what's the hierarchy that we're operating in and how do we communicate within that. The same holds true for a family. You still have to have an ownership group that's aligned to the future of their business or to their own future so that they have a common ground to stand on. And why is that so important? Because yes, they have 80% common ground even amongst cousins, but they have 20% differences. Is there the expectation in a lot of families that you're born into the family, you're born into the business? Or as per the generations go on, it's a case of you, you know, you do find that the cousins, well, I don't want anything to do with the business, um, as an example. It's interesting because it depends on which set of cousins you're talking to. If okay. you have, if you're a cousin in the family that where the parent loves the business and it's everything that they stand for, you probably have a very close alignment to the business and you see it as being part of your future. Mm. Uh, you mentioned the word expectations and that's where a lot of things do go wrong in the absence of clear communication and transparency around um, what the opportunities are in the family business, how people take up those opportunities, some quality and, and clarity around um, how we function as a family. When everybody runs with their own expectations that are unspoken, you probably find that none of the expectations are going to be met because it's impossible to meet an unspoken expectation, you're setting people up for failure. So it's not just a case of different generations not understanding the next generation. So as an example, I continually talk to Jamie about his his generation and all the issues that I think he's got wrong. Major topic in Tony's head, I think. <laughs> it just comes out of my head a lot. You, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> so, so. Yep. So every generation has their own preferences and we, Tony, we had a conversation just before and you talk about uh, cognitive bias. We mm. all, how we behave and what our preferences are is very much informed in our early upbringing. So your generation and our, or our generation is very different in how we view the world and what matters to us and who we take as experts and who we respect and, and our subconscious decision making to what the next generations are. What's interesting, of course, is their their decision making and their bias is informed by our parenting so we we like to have a look at the next generation and pay out on them but realistically we've created their reality and how they're responding to it so there's nothing wrong with our specific bias we just need to understand it and we need to allow for other people's as well and and i think sometimes this is exactly why families need to talk because everybody has something to bring to the table as long as we make room for it and understand where it fits. Does, yeah. does that connection and trying to join those generations up, does that start with one big talk together and you work from there? Or how do you sort of you know, get these two generations connected in a, in a good way? It really depends. If they're generally quite happy with each other and they want to embark on this journey together, absolutely can you have conversations with the whole family in the room. And it's wonderful when I get to work with families who are future and forward looking and they want to secure their future for everybody and involve everybody in it. Um, one thing I think I mentioned this to you before, Tony, is you, you can't build a, a platform or future for the people who are going to live in it, you have to do it with them. And if families understand that and are proactive, then yes, let's have a meeting and start looking at how we're going to co-create this. More often than not, though, do I get involved or get invited into families where there's conflict between generations, so across the generations and down to the next generation. And I don't like to put people into one room and to start off with if I have no idea what I'm dealing with. So I take mm. my time to really delve into each person's story because everybody has one and every person's story is as relevant as, as the next. And it's interesting when you listen to the person who you make contact with, who's contacted you first, 
and you just listen into, let's just assume it's the patriarch in this case, how the perspective on the children, where the problems are and, and how he sees where the family is going wrong. And you go, okay, that's interesting. And then you get to talk to everybody else. And it's really the intersect of where all of those different stories are coming from, where you can start seeing what people are behaving in a certain way. And without any help, people tend to, people in families and actually in any team tend to behave the same way when they're confronted with the same circumstances because they've got no other way of getting through that. So part of what I do is, is starting to A, be the outlet for the story. So there's somebody who's listening within, without any, really I've no subjective perspective. I'm, I'm not there to judge, I'm just there to, for them to be able to give legitimacy to the position and the pain where they're coming from and for them to feel that there's somebody who's going to take that on board and let it live on somewhere without having to be the voice for that themselves. And then you look at how do we now bring people together, where are the priorities, what's hurting them most, what's blocking them from moving forward and then starting to work through that in whatever is right for them. Sometimes I'm not the best person to take the next steps. I've had instances where the pain in the business around the lack of strategy and structure was so great that any work I was going to try to do with the individuals to help them through some difficulties was, was not going to be able to. They weren't going to be able to listen. So we helped them. I got somebody else to help them first and then went back to start working with the individuals in the family. So every family, even if you had a family business from the same industry, the same size, the same number of players at the same ages, what is giving them pain is going to be different to the next. So it's important to understand exactly who you're playing with, basically, before you start developing a game plan. Suzanne, I just want to go back on something you touched on of that, you know, we might complain about our children but and all that generation, but they, they are what we produced. They've got that personality because of the way they were raised uh, within within our own household, whether it be rules, boundaries, etc., or expectations. If if I look at Australia, Australia has realistically been built on immigrants, and a lot of those immigrants came here and started their businesses. The and we did a podcast with one of our clients, Leo Mameso, uh, who's Italian background. Uh, very successful in business. His father was the hard-working immigrant, um, as a lot of them actually are. In regards to what, I, what I've what i seen over three generations, not knowing realistically, because they're all overseas, my father or mother's side of the family, what I do know is my parents came from extreme poverty, uh, especially my mother was extreme poverty. Dad was spent years in an orphanage. They came here as immigrants in the late 60s, very, very hard workers. We didn't have a, you know, a unbelievably wealthy lifestyle, but we're very comfortable. And growing up, you just don't know any different, you know. So it was, uh, it was a great household to grow up in. But their big thing was, you will be educated. We don't care what we have to sacrifice. You will have an education because they never really got that opportunity. And then for myself, then to the next generation with my children. In other words they didn't want us myself and my sister to go through the hard times they went through and then for me uh, with my children and my sister with her children it's basically we've made even easier for them Uh, and i'm not saying my children are lazy by any means they've got good work ethic around them but is it sometimes that case of that we just don't want our children to go through those same hardships but then when it comes into business we have that expectation that they should go through those same hardships that we didn't want them to go through? It's actually a oh, Sorry, I know it was a very long <laughs> introduction, but is, is that a fair comment? 
I do. I'm getting, There's a comment. I'm getting help here, by the way, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's not okay. <laughs> the amount of times I've told Jamie off, by the way, and called him Jeremy, which is my youngest. <laughs> so it's, so, so, yeah, it's actually, you're not the only off. person. That's the wrong word, isn't it? No, so, don't tell me. Conversations. <laughs> you're not the only one who, in your gener- in our generation, who displays that same um, language. I hear this quite a bit working with families when they talk about, oh, you know, but they have to go. They have to go and do it the hard way. And it's, it's interesting because I think hardship and difficulty for each generation is something, something different. Yeah. And I think to a certain extent, yes, absolutely, lessons and learning is fantastic because without having to push through difficult things, we don't grow. But what they're growing, having to grow through is very different to what we had to grow through or our parents. And if, mm. if I was in a 20-year-old's shoes, would I really want to have to grow through the pain of dealing with the social media issues and finding your space in a world that is so trans everybody has a view on what it is that you're doing well that's a completely different problem to deal with mm. um, than having to face financial difficulties so each generation has their own battles i don't think we have to s- sort of superficially make it more difficult yeah. by withholding i think this is really not necessary yeah yep with the now you speak about uh, in companies, large companies, we've got corporate governance. We have a corporate governance in here. Um, I've used the word expectation a few times, but I'll say it again. You know, expectations for all employees here, um, and their expect what their expectations should be from us as an employer as well. From a family level, you speak about family governance mm-hmm. in family business. Do you want to talk about that? Oh yes, this is my my favourite subject, really, isn't it? <laughs> it is, but it but it's it's really I've always found it an unbelievably fascinating subject um, because I understand corporate governance, um, but when it comes to family governance, I've always found the way you explain it is just magnificent and how you work with families. I hope I can explain it the same way again. I probably won't be able to remember how I explained it last time. <laughs> There's no pressure here at all. So when you have a collective family working and, and working in the business. Um, so the, the mistake that people make is when they get introduced to family governance in the same way you probably see it on the business side sometimes is that they think it's just creating a bunch of rules and policies and, and maybe just um, create a values document. Realistically, what good family governance is, is fostering good communication and really understanding different perspectives to make decisions for the family in the business. It's, it's the link between the family and the business, it's the bridge that is sustainable and that's workable for all but leaves itself open for ongoing communication and and looking back as to whether the decisions made are workable or not. What's really fascinating is that when you start making decisions for the family working in business, it often throws light on the business and highlights that there are, there are bits missing in the business that don't actually function particularly well. So, so let me, so for example, if you've got a family working um, in large business, you've got multiple family members. One thing to remember is the more family members are working in that business, the higher the risk, and the higher the risk to the family because you've got more people relying on that business to sustain. So in your case, you've pretty much got everybody working in the business. So if anything happens here, then everybody's at risk. So making sure that the business is governed correctly and structured correctly is going to be quite important, right? Because mm. otherwise your sons might be quite shitty with you for some mistakes that you've made. So just letting you know. That could definitely happen. <laughs> <laughs> what mistakes? I don't make mistakes. <laughs> so I implore you to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but let's so. say that the, that the collective who's making the decisions for the family articulates and thinks it through and, and comes up with, let's say, some idea that 
family members working in the business should be equal to employees and they should be paid market rate and they're going to get annual reviews and they're going to be treated fairly and equally and you, however this is going to start being articulated. That's really wonderful, but if you haven't got a HR function or the rigor in your business to make that happen, then all you've done is just paid lip service to something that's actually critically important for your next generation to thrive in your business. So with everything that I do with families when we start making decisions, whether it's around remuneration or employment, or dividends or vehicles, you know, all kinds of different things that happen in a business that the family has got some links to. We always look across at the business and say, these are the decisions that we're making. A, is this what you want? And B, can the business sustain this? And do you have practices in place that are actually going to uphold what, you, what you're creating here and what you're promising your next generation, your family members that they can rely on? So it really is a, a plan to action, and this is the mistake a lot of advisors in this space make. They just create documents, but the documents themselves mean nothing if you don't have a plan for positive change. Yeah. Because people don't create these documents and have these conversations if everything was working perfectly, do they now? Or if they're anticipating everything to be perfect over time. So let's actually have a look at how are we going to keep using this to create this positive change. And also um, create positive change within the individuals and the family because if you want a good family, you need healthy individuals within that. So if you're making those decisions to support the family business link, then how do you support your next generation or your family members working in the business to not crumble? Have you ever been in a situation where there's a family member working in a business who should just not be working in that business? Yes. Yep. And, and this is part of um, really clearly putting a line between the family and the business. So they're, they're linked, they're, they're very important to each other, but um, the, the question often then is, if, who supports family members? So if somebody can't get a job outside and isn't able to work or is, is having some other issues, does the business have to support this? And does it put the business at risk and other people at risk? Mm. Or does the family support that? Because that's yeah. actually a family consideration. And if you start looking at a family defining their values, so who they are and where they come from, and start creating some of the foundation pieces and looking across at the business as a vehicle that needs to function in the best possible way to be for the greater good, which is the whole family and all of those employees and stakeholders, then at some point does it become very obvious that people are in the wrong spots. And if you're then supporting individuals with their own individual values and purpose, you might find that the person who isn't performing very well in the business isn't performing well for a reason. And that's because they're in the wrong place. They might be in the wrong role or they might be in the wrong business, but they've been forced there because they felt they had to be or because, they, because that's just what the family does without thinking through mm. the consequences. So you can start seeing the more rigor you put around and the more conversations and communication and clarity and light you shine and, and structures you put in place for people to start understanding where they fit and what they can and can't do, the easier it is to start dealing with that because then it becomes a much more objective conversation, not a personal conversation around you are failure. It's just, well, this, you're just not where you should be. Okay. With, um, we will be working a lot closer together with uh, Harmony, the business uh, that's been built here as well, and you'll be one of the partners involved in that as well, which is wonderful, um, in, in looking after the SME clients. But in saying that, you do certainly have, you are asked to present everywhere. Uh, between well, there are some places in this world where I would really love people to invite me to. 
<laughs> well, put it out there. You never know. I just, I just did. <laughs> so it's, uh, South Africa, anybody? <laughs> okay. No, I, I, I was privileged to be a guest speaker at a conference in South Africa, and it was one of the most amazing. Rub it in, Tony. Rub it in. That's fun. Oh no, it was it was one hour of talking <laughs> and a and a week of magnificence. A beautiful place. So, so it's, that, uh, that is rubbing it in. Yeah. No. 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 It was magnificent. Actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Move on. Moving on. I'll find some photos. I'll send them to you. (laughs) um, But in in saying that, you successfully ran your first uh, Women in Family Business uh, conference late last year. So late last year. Um, And that had a magnificent turnout. A lot of work. First time you'd you'd done that in respect to... um, why why women in family business and what was the what was the outcome uh, that has come from that for you moving forward so the first thing I'd like to say is that it's not at the exclusion of men no, family I understand business. That. So, so and I just so, wanted yes. to make sure we understand yes. but, but it yep. is um, when I mentioned before that the family side is often forgotten um, and that causes a lot of the pain for families and business. Our statistics in this country and actually the world over are particularly poor when it comes to generational transfer, whether it's wealth or whether it's business. So, and we're not really improving those statistics because we keep doing the same, as advisors, we keep addressing the same issues and the issues that we are comfortable addressing sit on the business side of things and they're transactional by nature. But when family businesses fail through the transition process, it has always got to do with the family, and yet we keep ignoring this big part of the family business that's really the make or break of the future of, of the, you know, everything that's been created. So the thought behind the Women and Family Business Conference is to harness those people who understand the concept of family unity and good family being, meaning good business, and just creating a different kind of conversation and perspective for advisors attending to, to realise that they might be a little bit one-sided in their focus and for family businesses in, uh, attending to to understand that there's a complexity to family business and the legit- legitimacy to create a role around the family champion to really take this business forward. Um, so my desire was to create a conference with a different focus and we're going to be taking this forward and uh, continue running these conferences in, in Brisbane at this point in time at the end of October again. But certainly opening up the dialogue and the presentations to provide knowledge around um, who we are in our generations and, and the thinking that's been created and what we can do with this going forward. So that is, that is where we're taking this conference this year. I think statistically the majority of businesses, startup businesses nowadays are actually run by, or started up by females anyway. Is that correct? Uh, not the majority, but we're seeing a lot of uh, female participation in startups and that in itself is quite interesting because... Um, the size of businesses is generally smaller mm-hmm. and that has a lot to do with risk appetite but also again I keep talking about our bias we tend to think that we might not have what it takes to run big businesses so there's a lot of work to be done. Okay I'm looking forward to helping you along that journey of the I'm work. Look forward to it too. Yeah so it's um, I suppose in closing uh, Liquid Gold Consulting you are up in Brisbane but you are down here in Melbourne and Sydney quite yep. a lot as well yes, with I work um, but we will be uh, moving forward I hope you don't mind, but we'll put a link to your website. Please feel uh, free. Thank you. Uh, and but it's so people can reach out to you. Yeah, mm-hmm. But also to look forward to With Harmony working in the future and, and having you as part of it. So a lot of our clients will get a lot more exposure to you as well. Wonderful. Like. Okay. I uh, really appreciate it today. Thanks, yeah, Thank you very much. Yep. Thank you so much.